All right, amen. Hey guys, we are in a new series in the book of Revelation. We are going through the book of Revelation. And let me give you a little context as we get into the book of Revelation because it's so important. The book of Revelation is a genre of, um, of literature that's considered to be called apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature. And what that pretty much means, it's, it's a type of literature, a type of writing where God uh, uses the, the human vessel. He, he, he appoints and he calls a human vessel and he gives them this message and he pretty much, he pulls back the veil of reality to show the human vessel, whether it's a prophet, whether it's a priest, right? He pulls back the reality of what's going on in the world and he lets them see the world through spiritual eyes, through divine eyes. What's happening in the background of the physical world that we live in, right? So we are meant to recognize when we are reading the apocalyptic literature and we're meant to acknowledge that there is a, um, a different dimension to the reality that we are living in, okay? And, and apocalyptic literature is meant for that. It is meant for you to recognize and realize that beyond just the physical material world that we live in, there is a spiritual world in the background that is playing a part and, and conducting and, and working through history. And our job is to be able to see that. So apocalyptic literature helps the readers and the people who, who are a part of it see the world behind the world. Okay? And in these two dimensions, the biblical writers, they were, they were, they were trying to share with us the reality of this spiritual world. See, because on one hand, on one hand, we see a world that is governed by human actions, human will, human free will, if you will, right? The ups and the downs governed by what man chooses to do and what, cho what he chooses not to do, and mostly governed by his rebellion and his sin against God. So this is the result, this is the world in which we live in, a world where men is, is in rebellion against God, sin against God, and we see that being played out throughout history. But in the apocalyptic literature, the writers are saying, but let me peel back a little bit of reality and let me show you on the other hand, so because on the other hand, what we see is also this dark spiritual influences, the lowercase gods, money, power, sex, if you will, that lies in the background. And these, in the spiritual realm, is the guiding and the influencing and the manipulation of the human actions. And so not only is there a physical world, there's a spiritual world. And these two worlds are moving antagonistic to the kingdom of God. You guys follow me? And uh, a great example of this, if you guys don't know what I'm saying, a great example of this is written in the Bible was when Pharaoh decided, in the book of Exodus, when Pharaoh decided to uh, kill off the, the, the male, uh, the, the infants, right? Uh, the Bible says that what? It was the, at the inspiration of Pharaoh, Israelites were getting too much, we got to kill them all before they rebel. But it was also by the influence of the gods of Pharaoh. So on one hand, Pharaoh was doing what? He was saying, yes, we need to get rid of these Israelites because they're multiplying. There's too many of them. We can't handle them. But on the other hand, the Bible also mentions that there is a spiritual realm, the gods of Egypt, who was inspiring Pharaoh to do these things. Okay? There is two dimensions that we are meant to see as believers, as people. So the point of this series, the, uh, the series that we're, we're, we're in, which is, I call it, the way of the Lamb, 
right, is for us to have a better perspective of the world in which we live in, okay? My hope and the hope of the pastors here is that as brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the church, and if you are friends or family, as you are beginning to kind of listen in on this kind of conversation that we're having, my hope is that you are able to have a better perspective of the world as seen through the eyes of God. Right? What does that mean? That means that we're not just seeing, we're not just visualizing, we're not just um, uh, encountering the immediate problems that we see. We're not just seeing these immediate issues that's coming up. And we're not just thinking of the immediate solutions to these problems. And we're not just jumping into the immediate emotions that come forth from these things that we see. Rather, my prayer, my hope is that as we go through this series, we begin to have a, a depth to us. We begin to have a, a, a patience and a poise to us that we are able to recognize not just the immediate problem, but to recognize that there's something behind what's going on in the things that we're seeing. That there's something behind what's driving the actions of men and the thoughts of men. That, we, that we're able to step back for a little bit and have the patience to recognize and to understand that there's something more going on behind the problems that we're facing in our world today. And on top of that, that we would have the, the patience, the direction, the balance to guide our response, our passionate response. Okay? So my hope is in this series, the series is pretty much about unveiling Revealing, revelation, revealing this second dimension of the world that which we live in. And by revealing that, it gives us a better perspective on how to deal with the world. Okay? But even more specifically, how is this relevant to you more specifically? It's like this. Ima well, you can imagine the culture that we live in today, right? Um, if we have this divine way of looking at things, if we have the spiritual eyes in which we begin to look at the world, the world around us, what we begin to recognize is that one man's true enemy is not another man, right? One man's true enemy is not a man from the opposing side. It's not about Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter. It's not about Republican or Democrat. It's not about conservative or... Um, uh, or a, a liberalism is not about these contrasting views. One man's enemy, his true enemy, is not another man from the opposing side. Rather, his true enemy, okay, his true enemy comes from the spiritual power that is animating the culture and the world in which we live in. The spiritual power that's inspiring the hatred between the dividing sides. The, the, the spiritual power that is, that is uh, inspiring the division and the violence between the opposing sides. Okay? And that's, and that's what I, I'm hoping for you guys to be able to see through this series. Is that there's a spiritual realm and the enemy is not another brother. It's not another sister. It's not another person. There's, an, and there's, there's a spiritual force in the background that is manipulating, that is guiding, that's influencing, that's inspiring the violence, the anger, and the passions, the vision. So, and my hope is for us to realize this, because we have sinful men, and because we have dark spiritual forces at work, doing all these things, 
for us as believers to step back for a little bit and to realize there must be another way. There must be another way to go about solving the problems that we have or that we're facing in this world. There must be another solution that we can move forward that would actually bring lasting results. There must be another way. And the answer is yes, there is. And that's the theme of this series, which is the way of the Lamb. Okay? Because ultimately, the answer is this. The gospel is truly the only thing that can bring real long-term solutions to the world in which we live in. You guys follow me? And that's why we're doing this series. That's why it's so important for you to be a part of this series, for you to understand this series, because you have to recognize that there's just more than the physical fighting that we see. There's a spiritual realm behind that. And if you begin to recognize there's a spiritual force that's guiding these conversations and these issues, then there must be a better way. And that way is the way of the Lamb. Okay? And as we begin to have this conversation together for the next few weeks, I pray that you will open your eyes, that you will have depth to your character, that you will have patience and poise to your conversations, that you will step back and not jump to conclusion, but actually analyze and think and realize the thing that's going on around you. You guys follow me? Right? So that's the hope. That's the hope for this series. And that's the ultimate uh, prayer that we should go in. So to, but today, okay, the, the, today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to start with we need to readjust our perspective because our perspective is kind of off. Right? We need to, to readjust what is important versus what is not important. We need to kind of reframe our minds and rewire our brains to come back to what is important. What is it that should bring us the most, uh, that should give us our most attention and our most focus on, okay? What we should most focus our attention on. You guys get me? And it's, it's like this, it's, it's like, pretty much it's like this. What do you fear the most, okay? Um, we need to readjust our, our, our fears in a positive way. I'll give you an example. If you are, if you are a, a college student, or you're a student in general, right? Um, there's a fear of disappointing your friends, and if there's a fear of your family, okay? Whichever you value most is the thing that you will put your most energy into. If you value your friends, then you will fear losing your friends, therefore you will deny your family in order to have your friends. If you fear your family, then you would pretty much let go of your friends in fear of your family, okay? And so we have to have the right perspective. What should be the thing that our heart is focusing and valuing itself on? What should be the thing that we are giving our heart and our attention to? What should be the thing that we are actually should be, ought to be afraid of, okay? And so let's come um, before the Word of God today. This is from the uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. Okay, Revelation chapter 1, verses 9. If you can open your Bibles here. And this is pretty much the beginning of the letter of Revelation. Pretty much God, Jesus Christ, is giving John, his apostle, a vision an apocalyptic vision, a revelation. He's, God is pulling back the veil of reality and giving John a way to see the world and see what's happening in the background. 
right? He's giving John the ability to see the spiritual influences, the spiritual power that is running in the background of our physical reality. And the idea here is this, is to bring us back, the church, back into the correct perspective. God is going to tell John, write a letter to the seven churches, and we can be represented as part of the church. God is telling John to write a letter to the churches and tell them to have the proper perspective. Have them to focus on what is the most important thing. And my hope today is that we would have the proper perspective. 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 Everyone at home, say proper perspective. Go for it. Proper perspective, okay? All right, so the first thing, Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Check this out, verses 9 to 11. This is what it says. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John was being uh, imprisoned on the island of Patmos because of preaching and sharing the word of God. Right? Because of what he was doing, they put him in prison here. And on the Lord's day, which is Sunday, I was in the spirit praying, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Heard a supernatural voice, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Okay? So the first thing I want you guys to realize is this. Realizing our... Personal perspective. Our personal perspective. God told John, I want you to write a letter to these seven churches. Now, why are these seven churches? These seven churches are part of the kind of the, the ring of churches, and they are the central hubs for majority of all the other churches in that area. Okay? So, Christ is telling John, I want you to write to these seven churches because these seven churches... Later on, we'll find out. In the next few weeks, we're going to find out. These seven churches, they're dealing with improper perspective. They're not seeing the world correctly. They're putting their vision and their value in the wrong thing. They're not seeing the, the spiritual realm behind what's happening to them. They're being caught up in the physical reality of their lives. And God is telling John, I need you to write a letter and speak truth into each one of their, these churches' lives because they're each suffering with a different problem. Okay? And we're going to go through each of these problems as we go along the series. But pretty much, uh, God tells John to pen this letter to let the church know. To let the church know two things, okay? One, you are the church. You, everyone at home, whether you're sitting in your PJs right now or you're sitting dressed up and ready and attentive, ready to worship God, you are the church. And you are the ambassadors of God. That God has appointed you, the you who belong to a community of faith. You are called the church and you are the ambassador of God to God's reality, to the world in which He is. And He's trying to say, your job is to share this reality, my reality, God's reality, to the world around you. I will ultimately, God will ultimately bring judgment to the world around us. But it is your job as a church to not forget to not forget your job. 
to not forget that you are the ambassadors of God. See, the seven churches, they forgot. You know why they forgot? Because they had the wrong perspective. Everyone at home say perspective. They began to focus on things that was being driven by other things. They were beginning to put their value and their worth in the spiritual influences of their days. Influences like money, like sex, like power, like material blessing, like love, like might. They were, they were beginning to put their worth and their value in those things. And that was their perspective. And Jesus Christ, knowing that, he tells John to write this letter and remind the church, you are my ambassador. Everyone at home say ambassador. And your job, your job is to speak of my reality to the world around you. It's not just to sit back and kind of just embrace and kind of like get this kind of spiritual moment and kind of enjoy it and then kind of move on with your life. But your job, if you call yourself a son and daughter of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, your job is to be an ambassador of His reality. And you need to recognize that everything that you are continuously or always placing before God is useless and they're frail. These things are things that are being driven by a spiritual force in the background that's, getting, that's trying to V for your, your loyalty, V for your passion, V for your worship. They're just trying to command that from you. And God is saying, do not give in to those things. Like for example, right? If you're a college student, if you're a college student, you're in college right now, what are you looking for? What, what, what is the spiritual gods that are speaking into your reality at this moment? Significance, purpose, right? There are voices that tells you to, to, to seek for personal significance. Go and seek for your personal value. Do what you feel makes your life have some sort of goodness and, and beauty to it. Do you. Seek for you. Better you. Make your life better. Do something that will make you happy. And so we begin to recognize that there is voices speaking into the church of God, especially to our young college brothers and sisters. And I'm sure this goes across the board, but let me just focus on college brothers and sisters for a second. Telling you to be you. Telling you to seek for your own purpose or significance. Telling you to look inside of yourself and find something beautiful within yourself. There's these voices that's saying that. And Jesus Christ is saying, John, write a letter to the church. They need the right perspective. Because that right there, right there, that is not from God. And that will only lead to destruction and death and emptiness, and a cycle, and a cycle of chasing. In the same way, singles, right? All my singles in the house, what are the voices and the spirits that you don't, maybe you don't realize they're spirits, but what are the voices that you're listening to that's trying to V for your attention and your worship? Love, career. If I can just get the right guy, if I can just get the right girl, my life will be complete. I will have a relationship. 
career. Forget love. I'm going to focus on my career. I'm going to put everything else into this. I'm going to make sure that my life, my career is moving forward. If people get in the way, I'm going to push them out because this is most important. I need to move forward. I need to get to the next step. I need to get to where my friends are at. I need to be there. And it'll be all of a sudden we realize that the church of God, you, his ambassadors who are meant to speak of his reality to the world around you, you are caught up listening and following worship to the voices that commands what? Be loyal to love. Be loyal to your job. Be loyal to this. Worship that because if you have it, your life will be better. And God tells John to write a letter to the church and he says, hey, they need the right perspective because they're going somewhere wrong. They, they've lost the picture. They lost the image. Or about you married couples, right? Safety and future. I'm married. I want, I want safety for my family. I want, I want a future that I can uh, move forward to, to ensure that you know, my kids grow up, that, they have their, that they're able to pay for their college, that I can pay for their, their insurance, that I can actually purchase a house and I have some sort of stability in my life. For all you married couples and married families out there, you're listening to the voices around you telling you, hey, listen, worship this, follow this, seek for safety, seek for your future, seek to invest in this moment right here in the immediate because when you do that, then you will be satisfied, then you will be happy. But you know it, that's not true. You know you've been searching for a while and you're still not satisfied. And all the while, God is writing a letter. He tells John, John, pen this letter to the church and tell them they are my ambassadors. They've lost their perspective because they're chasing after something that does not satisfy. You guys follow me? John is being told by God, write this letter, what I'm about to show you to the seven churches because I need them to have the proper perspective. I need them to step back for a moment, stop seeing things from the immediate. I need them to stop, step back for a moment and stop thinking about things and how to solve solutions at the moment and stop feeling and worried and being, and being anxious in the moment. But I need them to step back and ask the question, what is going on here? What is my purpose that God has placed me here for? What is it that I'm supposed to see and understand that's happening around me? Do I actually recognize all of these forces that's trying to influence me and destroy me? And do I have the conviction and the strength to stand up to that? God tells John to pen this letter to the churches. Give them the right perspective. Everyone at home say perspective. Right? And what is the right perspective? What is the right perspective? It is to recognize who God really is. To recognize who Jesus Christ truly is. The right perspective. Look at verse 12 to 17. 12 to 17 is this unbelievable description of this vision, this image that's being pulled back of who Jesus is before John. Okay, And how John responds to that. Verse 12 to verse 17. Check this out. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all his brilliance. 
And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. See, what God told John, I need you to write this down, right? But before you write this down, I need you to have the right perspective. Realize who I am. See, oftentimes, church, you lose focus of God. You lose focus of Christ because you forgot who He is. And because you have forgotten, you begin to run after something else. You begin to chase after something else. And so God is telling John, have the right perspective. Let me give you an example of what all these description means, okay? Real fast. And John describes God, Jesus, in this, un, as, this, 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 this otherworldly way. He says, look, this, this figure had a long robe with a golden sash, right? It, it's supposed to be this picture of, of someone who, golden sash and long robe is worn by dignitaries, someone who has exalted, someone who is dignified, so that when you look at this person, you're not looking at some bum, some, 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 some uh, ghetto person, some, some hobo, you're looking at a dignified ruler power that is standing before you. And then he says this, his hair was white, wool, Right? Like snow. The word white and the word wool, uh, the word um, wool and the word um, and, and the white hair is supposed to signify uh, wisdom that comes from the years. And wool with white as snow comes together, it's, show, it's supposed to show you this is as white as I can get it to be. Right? This person, this person is as wise and as full and as, and as, and as, as, as uh, filled with wisdom as, I, as you can possibly imagine. This is as white as it gets. This, there's no other language in the, uh, in, the old, uh, in the ancient world that describes whiteness like this. Wool and snow, okay? On top of that, blazing eyes. Blazing eyes represents this, this penetrating way that's able to look into you. You know when someone looks into you and you can, they think that you can see them looking into your soul, that they can see what's going on in the background? Blazing eyes, right? to the core, that they can see to the core of the human situation. This figure, this Christ figure has bronze feet. And this is a little difficult, but bronze feet pretty much represents military might, military power. It's a show of glory and a show of strength. It's, 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 it's this idea that, that, that this, this person before him has the power to enact military judgment. Powerful voice supposed to be the sound of a great waterfall, conveying power and absolute strength. The stars in his right hand, the stars represents the angels or the messengers to the seven churches. But why, why did the author John represent and see it as stars? Because this is supposed to be in contrast. Um, the stars are like the planets, that they, or at least the heavenly bodies that the Jewish writers knew, like the sun, the moon, the Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. Those are the, the heavenly bodies. Also, in contrast to the Roman Empire, which is the main empire at that time, the main kingdom of that time, also the main spiritual influence at that time, they, the emperors, what did they do? They, they saw themselves and they asserted themselves in the cosmic rule of the Roman gods, Jupiter, Saturn, Venus, Mercury, right? That they were, they, they were these gods. And when John writes this picture, that he holds the stars in his hand. And of course, the stars represent the angels, but it also shows that he, this figure, holds empires and kingdoms in his hands like there were nothing. 
And lastly, the sword from his mouth it is a sword of judgment that comes forth from the mouth that proclaims judgment. And his face was a radiant face. It's the sun, right? When you look into the sun, it will burn your eyeballs out. It's, it's meant to be this unbelievable, piercing, killing, life-killing figure before you. And when you are able to recognize that this right here, this picture is the picture of your Lord. If you see this before your eyes, if you, if you come and you recognize that this picture is a picture of power, a picture of wisdom, a picture of might, a picture of, 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 of strength, a picture of glory, what happens? What happens? You fall at your feet. You bow down upon your knees and you worship this God. But John was, he didn't fall down worshiping. He fell down as if a man who was dead. As if a man who was dead. But instead of dying, what happens? The figure did what? He placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. This is a really important picture here, okay guys? And what this means is this. Very simple. Get this through your mind. God is telling John, I want my church to have the right perspective. Everyone at home say perspective. The church and its people have been running around chasing other things, worshiping other gods, giving themselves to things that have no power. They're being influenced. They're being manipulated. They're being driven by these other voices. I need the church, my ambassador to the world, to have the right perspective. And so he shows John the image of himself. Which is crazy, right? Because the moment you show a man the image of God, that man is meant to die. But it's kind of funny. Let me, let me explain this to you. Because technically, <laughs> technically is this. In Genesis 2, Adam was able to see the face of God. He was able to see the very presence of God. He was able to see God in this form. And Adam didn't die. You know why? You know why? Adam saw the face of God and did not die. Why? Because we were made to look at the face of God. All of the beauty, all of the pursuits, all of the love, all of the wonders that you've ever searched for, it's found in the face of God. Everything that your heart has ever longed for, a, a, a wanting for purpose, it is found when you can see in the eyes of God. If you're looking for true beauty, it is found when you look at the face of God. When you're looking for love in its complete form, unconditional, it is found when you physically look at the eyes and the face of God. We have always been pursuing God's face. It is in His face that we find our joy. We need God's face like water, like, like a dead fish needs water or a dying fish needs water. That's how much we need the face of God because in that it is the completion of who we are. It's when we finally find satisfaction. You know when you're really fully thirsty and you, like you're parched to death and you need a drink of water and the moment you grab that water and you, and, 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 and you drink it, what happens? There's an overwhelming sense of, yes, this is it. I have everything I've ever needed in the same way. That's just the physical way, right? In the exact same way. We were meant to see the face of God. 
But what happened? Sin happened. And so we have situations like from Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, he was, he was another apocalyptic literature where, he, where, he was re, where, where God pulled back the veil of reality and Isaiah saw the throne room of God. And he saw the very image of God. On, he, he, even, he even like get that close. He got to his feet actually. He even looked at his face. He got to his feet. And all he saw around him was angels, two covering their, with wings, six wings, two covering their eyes, two covering their feet, and two fly. And from their lips they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the moment Isaiah even came to his feet, not even to his face, to his feet, Isaiah said what? Woe to me, I should die. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I have come from a people of unclean lips. Who am I that I should stare upon my God and live? Right? On one hand, we're supposed to see the face of God. It is our very purpose. And on the other hand, we will die if we see it. It will destroy us. That's sin. That's sin itself. Right? And I think you understand this. I mean, if you don't understand, let me give you another perspective, okay? Let's say you value yourself. You value how smart you are. I'm a very smart person. But then you stand next to someone who is 10 times smarter than you. What happens? What happens? You feel pretty much, right, useless. You feel pretty much... Um, uh, uh, unworthy, you feel like small next to them. Same thing, if you thought you were really athletic and you, and you sat next to someone who was really buff and really big, you feel kind of scrawny and pale, right? If you thought you were really pretty and you sat next to someone who, who by the world standard is actually very pretty, right? You feel yourself to be very ugly. In the exact same way, if, if you understand the human perspective, how much so is it before God's perspective that if you will come to that presence, it will be decimating to your reality. If you will come before His presence, it will be destruction to your life. It's death. And yet, John did not die. John did not die. Okay? What am I trying to say here, church? God tells John, write a letter to the church. Write a letter to you. Those who are sitting at home watching this, write a letter. They've lost their perspective. They've lost their vision and their focus. They've turned their eyes every different direction. They're beginning to worship other gods, other spirits are influencing their life. They're supposed to be my ambassadors, but they're losing their focus. Bring them back to me. Write this letter to bring them back to me. And so John looks and he sees what? He sees the figure of Christ. Like a son of man, it says. And all of this imagery is supposed to convey God himself. He sees God with the eyes and the hair and the robe and the feet and the, and the mouth and the words. It, he sees the presence of God and it literally almost broke him. And he fell down as if dead. That's, that's, that's his only response. It's just, you just die, right? You fell down as if you're just dead when you, when you come next to someone that great. And then what happens? But he didn't die because, check this out. This is what Jesus says. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. 
Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels and the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Right? And so God is reminding him once again, write this letter. You finally see me, right, John? You finally, again, have the right perspective. You have the right focus, right? Now write this without fear. Speak this without holding back. Write this to let them know what, what, they, what you have seen, what you will continue to see, and what you will see, what will happen. What has happened, what will happen, what will continue to happen, right? Write this to the church and let them know. This is who I am. The only way that you are able to stand before me and not die and not perish and not be decimated is because I am what? I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever. I was I, am the, I hold the keys of death and Hades. You know what he's saying here? He says, I am the only one worthy of your allegiance. Everything else. I am the one who is all eternity. I am the one who holds death. I have the keys to Hades itself. I walked into the fire and I came out. Right? God is not far from us. He is close to us. And He says, I have been there. I have came out of it. I have defeated death. I am alive again. All eternity is in my hands. I am the first and I am the last. There is no other God that has done that and can do that. Remember me. I am the only one worthy to tell you how to walk your life. I am the only one worthy or has at least the most claim to tell you how to create flourishing for your life. I am the only one that is looking out for you. Why? Because I walked through Hades and I came back out for you. I'm the only one is what Jesus is trying to tell John. Write to the church. Tell them what you have seen. And let them know, this is what the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who has conquered dead is saying. Let them know this is the one who has walked through the fire for them, who came out of it for them, is saying to them. Stop listening to the voices that's around you. Stop listening to the, to the spirits that is speaking into your heart manipulating and challenging and, and, and transforming your thoughts, your brains, your hearts, moving you away from the purpose that God has for you. Stop chasing after things that does not give fulfillment or last a life. Start chasing once again after my face. Stop start seeking once again after my face. You will not die. You will find life in that. He says, start moving and remembering me. Have the right perspective. So as college students, as singles, as married couples, this series is meant for you to have the right perspective. And it starts with Jesus Christ. 
It starts with Him. See, the question you have to ask yourself before you start answering any question around you, before you start throwing your opinions and your thoughts out of the world around you, before you start quoting your, 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 uh, your textbooks or your lectures or your professors or your uh, colleagues or people around you, before you start doing any of that, the first question you have to ask is, what is my God saying to me? What perspective does He want from me? Because He is the only one worthy to speak to me. He is the only one worthy to tell me how to move. And He is the only one who has proved it by living His life, by dying and coming back for me. He is the only one willing to walk through the very gates of hell to bring me out. He is the only one. So my question that I engage in life always is what does He have to say to me? What is He saying to me right now? What is He saying to you right now? What struggles, what voices, what, what fears are you holding on to? And ask yourself the question, what is God saying about those things? What is God commanding of you in regards to those things? For you single brothers and sisters, or for you college brothers and sisters, right? Significance and purpose. Who, who does not want their voice to be heard? Who does not want their voice to be left to mark? Who does not want to have some sort of legacy? But instead of jumping and crying, trying to find significance in a culture that is being driven by spiritual darkness that is that is pitting men against men, that is causing division and brokenness, maybe the question you should be asking, my brothers and sisters who are in college, is what purpose does God have for me? What does He want me to say in this time? What words does He want me to address in this time? Because if you want legacy, that is your legacy. That will be the only legacy that will last. Every culture comes and goes. But the Word of God endures forever. And if you are the one who speaks God's Word, your legacy will endure forever. For my college, for my singles out there, those who are seeking love and career, maybe it's now the time for you to begin to ask the question, right? Are those things I'm running after worthy? Are they truly worthy of my devotion? Are they truly, do they truly have the power for me to lay myself down? Have they really proven themselves worthy for me to give myself to it? Or maybe, or maybe, we look at the one who is worthy and say, God, what do you have for me? Show me what love looks like. Show me what the pursuit of love looks like. Show me that the fulfillment of love looks like that I am not fulfilled by a man or a woman, but I'm fulfilled in you. And show me, show me that my career is not the ends of my life, but my career is the means to the purpose that you have for my life. For the married people, safety and future, maybe God is saying, stop being safe. Stop being safe. Maybe it's time to start thinking about what is it that He is calling us, His people, worthy. He is the only one worthy to speak into your family. And He's the only one who has who created the institution of family. 
Safety does not bring legacy, guys. Safety does not bring a future that is going to be powerful, that is going to transform. Safety does not create that. It's when we search for God's face, the purpose of our hearts, when we begin to recognize only He is worthy to speak into our lives, then we begin to ask the question, God, what do you want from my family? What can I offer? And that is the perspective that we're meant to have. To gaze upon the holiness of our God. To gaze upon His presence and say, only you are worthy. Give me the right perspective. Readjust, rewire my mind that I would have the right perspective. Church, I pray. I pray going into this time that you would have the right perspective. Let's bow your heads. Let's pray with me right now. Father, I pray. I pray over TLC, its brothers, its sisters, and sons, its daughters. Oh God, give us the right perspective when it comes to our lives. Lord, we have been chasing after so many different things. Being for its allegiance, being, Father God, for its loyalty. But I pray, oh God, that we would have our eyes open to recognize those things. Those things do not, they, do not, they are not worthy of our devotion. They're not worthy of our worship. But you alone, the one who has died and lives again. The one who is eternal. The one who does not die. The one who holds the key to Hades himself. I pray, O oh Lord, that you will give us our proper perspective when it comes to our college life, our single life, and our married life. Help us, Lord, to look upon you and begin to ask the question, what do you have in store for us? What do you want, Father God, in regards to those things? No one else, has, no one else is as powerful. No one else, Lord God, is as worthy. And no one else's love and mercy has shown us that they are worthy of our worship, our allegiance, our devotion. I pray, O oh God, that we will give you our worship now and forever. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we uh, respond to uh, God at this time, um, time of uh, worship and a time of, uh, time of praise and a time of prayer, continue to pray, continue to worship. Also, uh, it's, it's a time of offering. That when you give offering, it's not, it's not a way of saying, hey, you know, this is what I got to do. But you're beginning to ask the question, what is this money for? What, what, are my, what, what are the things I have for? What's the purpose of it? Is it for my personal and only enjoyment? Is it to, to seek my kingdom that is built on foundation of sand that can topple at any moment? Or is it for God's kingdom? And so in your offering, what you're saying is, Lord, I recognize that. I recognize only your kingdom is the one that lasts and endures. And only you are worthy of all my allegiance and all my devotion, all my worship. So let's come. Let's give God our worship through praise, through offering, and through prayer. When you're ready, church.